Well, I don't know if you're like me, but there are people in this world that make me insecure. There's all types of people, of course, but one of the particular people are people who make complex things seem really simple. You may know what I'm talking about. These are the students in our ministry that can fix a Rubik's Cube with one hand. These are the engineers that see a problem in an entire different way than you would solve it. These are the people like we have in our staff who are so gifted. Like when I'm in a meeting with our director of finance, Brian Davis, and our executive pastor of operations, Bruce Smith, and I'm in this meeting, and it's like I'm in a Star Trek convention, and I've never watched an episode. It's an entire different language, and I'm just nodding along. Zach, you understand? Yes, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, of course, yeah. Um, I know exactly what you guys are talking about. We need these people that see complex things and make them pretty simple. Well, if you're like me, sometimes we can see people who do friendships really, really well and get frustrated and get insecure because we see these people that are crushing it in their friendships and they, they're doing this friendship thing really well and you're looking at yourself saying, it's, it's so hard, it's complex. How, how do they make it seem so simple? And we know that friendships are important. We know we need them. We often feel like we don't have enough. We don't have deep enough friendships. And ultimately this big wall, this big mountain of friendships paralyzes us. We say, it's just so hard. It's not worth it. We must remember the truth that friendships are important. C.S. Lewis said it like this, friendships is the greatest worldly good. Certainly to me, it's the chief, chief of happiness in life. Friendships are complex, but we need them. It's one of the Proverbs in the whole Bible talks much about friendship. And what I want to do this morning is I want to look almost at the whole book of Proverbs and I want to take the themes we see clearly from this book. The, there's themes that we see throughout this book that are extremely helpful. And I want to land on how we can be really, really good friends. We see three themes. We see that we should avoid foolish friends. We see that we should find honest friends. And lastly, we should cultivate enduring friends. Before we dive in, we must remember what the Proverbs are. The Proverbs are not promises. If we take these truths and overapply them, we will set God up to deliver to us what he has not promised to deliver to us. That is the overapplication of the Proverbs. These are principles that Solomon has given to us, written within the canon of Scripture, written within the context of the gospel of Jesus. We must remember that until, so if, we, if we oversimplify and overapply these Proverbs, we will use these Proverbs as weapons and over-apply them into an unuseful manner. But I do think we find really helpful truths here. The first helpful truth is that we should avoid foolish friends. We know this. We teach this to our kids. We know that bad friends are bad decisions. Bad friends are bad decisions. We shouldn't make good friends. One of the things we must realize is that we are not just making ourselves by ourselves. One of my friends, Jim Colfield, says it like this. 
We are made by relationships and we are made for relationships. What I mean is that we are permeable souls. We are, we are conformed by the things around us. Listen to what Proverbs thirteen twenty says. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. The Proverbs is teaching us that we absorb the voices and lifestyles around us. We are conformers to the world around us. We are, are penetrable souls. We do not make ourselves. We are not autonomous beings that become whoever we want to be. That's a lie. You know this if you grew up in a particular home and you get married and all of a sudden you find yourself talking like your parents or your wife let you know you begin talking like your parents or your friends around you ask you what that word means. You are the culture. You are becoming the culture you put around you. And that is very applicable to who you're friends with. You become foolish if you choose foolish friends. It affects your lifestyle. It affects your morals. Look at Proverbs 22, 24 and 25. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. You know this is true. You know that when you're around a person of bad morals, you become immoral. Maybe you don't have immoral friends, but you might listen to immoral voices. You might listen to voices that are not helping you become like Christ. And all of a sudden, you listen to those voices for a period of time, and you start using the language they're using. You start saying the things they're saying. You start believing the things they believe. We are conforming creatures. We need to understand that people around us direct the way we make decisions, the, the way we live our lives. As a student pastor, I see this too often. When students graduate from high school, have gone to college, and they find themselves around company that changed their lifestyle. No, rarely does a student go to college and say, I'm going to become that person that drinks every other night. Rarely does a student say that I'm going to date that person that's horrible for me. No, they, they surround themselves with people who drift their souls. That's why, students, the first week of college is one of the most important weeks of your entire college experience because the friends you make that first or second week of college will direct the way you do life. Student, hear me as your pastor. Just because that person is attractive and you think they love you, if they are foolish, if they make bad choices, they are no good for you. They don't have your best intentions in mind and they will turn you into something you look back on you do not recognize. They're not worth your time. Run, run away. Because there's many, many watching today that would say, we've been hurt by bad choices in our friendship. And the Proverbs teaches that. Look at Proverbs 25, 19. Trusting a treacherous man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth or a foot that slips. Surrounding yourself with foolish friends will lead to a broken heart. Because foolish friends are there when times are easy. Faithful friends are there when you're struggling, when you're happy. Foolish friends are there when it's easy. If you choose foolish friends, you will have your heart broken. 
And let me be very clear that this isn't saying that we should avoid foolish people. That God, God has not called us to avoiding foolish people. God has called us to avoid foolish friends. Because you can apply this and say this, well, that means I can't be friends with any sinners. Well, the problem with that statement is that you can't be friends with yourself. If we incubate ourselves and avoid the world because we're terrified of becoming fools, we have missed, missed the mission of the gospel. God is the redeemer of foolish people. God has called us into a foolish world to preach and live out the gospel. We must know that God is the redeemer of our foolish mistakes. You may be listening to this and you, you wear the scars of making foolish friends. And here's what the gospel speaks into you this morning, friend. He sees you. There's a word for you this morning that says, your mistakes in your friendships do not define you. Your bad marriage doesn't define you. Your scars and your wounds do not define you. That mistake you made that you walk around with the guilt and the shame do not define you. If that's you this morning, there's an incredible story in the Bible for you. Jesus in John, 4, John chapter four approaches this woman. This woman's by herself getting a drink of water. And this woman has shame and guilt. She's made bad relationship choices. And Jesus asked her for a drink of water and she's taken aback by this man, this Jewish man asking a Samaritan woman for a drink of water. And Jesus is having this conversation with her and Jesus asked her, go call your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you're right in saying you have no husband because you have had five husbands and the one you live with now is not your husband. Jesus having a conversation with this woman that he divinely appointed. He saw her relational mistakes. He saw her shame as she was drinking from the well by herself. He saw that she had, had been wounded and shamed because of her sins. And he invited her to life anyway. And she goes back to the rest of the village and she says this, come and meet the man who told me about all of my sins. That is the story of the gospel. The gospel looks at our shame in our choices, the shame in our friends. We all have them. We've all made foolish friendships. We've all made foolish mistakes. And he, sa he says to you, come have life with me. If that's you this morning, maybe you're watching this morning. I don't know what pro prompted you to tune in to our church this morning, but You've been circling this treacherous friendship or maybe you're constantly involving yourself with friendships that scratch the itch but do not satisfy you. Jesus looks at you this morning. He says, you can have intimate, deep, shameless friendship with me. Just come to me. Come have life with me. Your shame can be taken away. And that doesn't mean that Jesus' blood and your faith in him takes away the pain. It doesn't take away the wound, but it promises you life and life abundantly. We must avoid foolish friends 
but our foolish friends don't have the last word. Secondly, we must find honest friends. You, you know that you need honest friends, but we, we must change our trajectory to think that we must avoid foolishness out there and we must see that we must fight our foolishness inside of us. Foolishness inside of us is a real problem. And what we often do is that if we just avoid the world, then we will become godly. The problem is that we're assuming that foolishness doesn't live inside of us. Foolishness is, is all throughout our decisions, our choices, our problems. And we need honest friends to tell us the truth. That's what Proverbs 12, 26 says this. The one who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the weak, wicked leads him astray. Honest friends lead to a flourishing life. Honest friends lead to a flourishing life. We must cultivate and we must seek out friends who will tell us the truth. Do you have that type of friend? Do you have the friend that will tell you what they really think? Have you given anybody in your life permission to be honest with you? Here, listen to these verses in Proverbs. Better is an open rebuke than a hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. We need to surround ourselves with people who tell us what we don't want to hear. Have you given those people your permission? One of the ladies on our student staff, Carice Warren, she's an incredible gift to our ministry. And she said it like this, we need people in our life who have permission to wound us. We need people in our life that have permission to wound us. The problem is we don't like feeling that. We don't like feeling hurt or we don't like feeling shame because of our decision, but we must understand that we are foolish. As a guy who played football for several years, I've been in coaching staffs and a couple different teams and we, every summer camp leading up to August and July, there will always be a fight. There will always be a fight. And later in my years as a coach, I would always get nervous if there wasn't a fight. And here's why. Fighting means somebody cares. Now, constant fighting and always arguing, always bickering, that's a problem for sure. But fighting often means somebody cares. If I, if I sit down with a young couple, maybe they're dating, we're having lunch or having dinner over the house and they say stuff like this, oh, our relationship's amazing. We never fight. I smile because I smile because they haven't been honest with one another. They haven't really told each other how each other are feeling because one day he is going to disagree about what, where they should go for dinner. He's going to disagree about how the yard should look and how the mulch should look and different decisions you have to have in a, in a relationship. Fighting is often the fruit of honesty. Fighting often is a good thing. Some, some of us need to fight to reconcile. We need to be honest with one another. It may sound strange, but fighting is healthy in friendships. The closest people you are to, 
the closest people you're around are the people you most likely fight with the most. We need honest friends. We need people that, that know us. I know for me, I know I'm a fool. I know I make mistakes. My wife will have crowns in heaven for all the foolish mistakes she's uh, helped me not make. On my team at church, they have full permission to say things like this. Zach, while that idea is well-intended and sounds great, it's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. And sadly, they utilize that option a lot. But we need people who tell us the truth. Do you have people in your life you've given permission to? You've given permission to hurt your feelings. You've given them permission to say something that's painful. We must find those friends. So we must avoid foolish friends and we have to find honest friends. And lastly, we must cultivate enduring friends. Friends aren't just essential for our wisdom and our morality, but they are essential for our endurance. Look what Proverbs 17, 17 says. A friend loves at all time and a brother is born for adversity. We need deep friendships that help us through the troubles of life. We need friends in our foolish times. We need friends in our dark times. The issue is that some of us have so many friends that we don't have close friends that help us endure. Listen to what Proverbs 18, 24 says. A man of many companions comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You may be watching this today and say, this isn't for me. I have this friendship thing figured out. I have ample friends. Zach, you should see the group, the amount of group texts I'm in. I have plenty of friends. I don't need any more friends. And that may be true, but I would push back and say, do you have intimate friends? Do you have deep friends that actually know what you're going through? For some of us, we need to do an assessment of our friendships. We need to categorize the friends we have. And just as a tool to help you this morning, I, I created this little diagram that I think might help you understand who your friends are. There's three categories of friendships, and I, I wouldn't say to overanalyze this graph. There's blurry lines. There's some people that may fit in both boxes, but we have three types of friendships. We have friendships of utility. These are friendships that are contractual in nature. They know who we are. These are people we have to do life with to flourish and function. These are our accountants and our teacher and our coach and our students that we're teaching with. These are people in our lives that we didn't necessarily choose to have in our lives. But we have plenty of them. We have plenty of friendships of utility. The second category is Friendships of proximity. These are proximate friends. These are circumstantial in nature, but you've chosen to be with them. You, you choose to do life with them. These are friendships maybe within our body that we want to know who they are. We know how to weep with them. We know their story. We're able to call them. We're able to understand what they're going through, but we wouldn't consider them on the deepest level of friendship. We wouldn't say we do life with these people. Then lastly, we have intimate friendships. These are covenantal in nature. These are people we've committed to. I am your brother and you are my brother. We are locked arms together. We have knit our hearts together to do life with. These are spouses. 
For some of us, maybe our small group members, our accountability partners, our children. These are the people that that know how to interpret you when people misunderstand you. These are the people that can translate you when they don't understand what you're saying. These are the people that have permission to hurt you. These are the people that know your deepest, darkest struggles. We need intimate friendships. And we must be weary of saying like, I need a ton of intimate friends because your soul can only allow itself. So there's so many intimate friendships. And many of us have different um, levels or, or abilities to do intimate friendships. Because for many of us, the people we've been most intimate with in friendships are the people that have hurt us the most. Because when you're vulnerable with somebody, they have the ability to wound you like no other person. So you, you stiff arm friendships because when you allow that friend in, you feel weak, you feel naked. Your heart screams, no, 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 not again, not again. And so you live with most of your friendships at an arm's distance because you're weary of come, becoming a deep friend with anybody. And you, you can only allow so many people in your life. God sees that, but you cannot endure this life without deep, intimate friendships. Church, if your friends are the people you see once or, once or twice a month, maybe the friends you see just in passing at church, the friends you, you text with every once in a while, you like their Facebook post, if that's your deepest level of friendships, then you are underestimating your foolishness and you're underestimating the brokenness of the world and that impact on your life. We need intimate friends to help us endure. We need intimate friends to help us get through the dark times, to get through the joyous times. We need friends that visit us at the funeral when our family member passes. We need people that visit us in the hospital when our child is born. We need intimate friendships. Because here's the reality. Brokenness will not wait on you having friendships. Here that church, brokenness will not wait on you having friendships. It, it, it is coming at you with a full court press. It doesn't care how lonely you are. It actually sees your loneliness and says, that's an easy target. Put people in your life that will help you endure. In your darkest days, when the room feels like you can't see, friends are the, the, the walls, our hands fine when we're walking through a dark room. We must have the shoulders of our friends when we feel like we can't stand up. We must find those people in our lives because if you don't, you won't endure. You won't. And some of you may not like the books in The Lord of the Rings, but as a nerd myself, I think they're some of the best books in the world. And the, the main theme of the book is friendship. In the, the first book, Fellowship of the Rings, you, you have Frodo, who's this, if you're not familiar with the books, you, he's in charge of getting this ring to, to Mordor to destroy it. 
And there's this fellowship around him to help him endure the task, to help him get through. But the problem is Frodo is weary of what the journey is going to do to his friends. So at the end, one of the last scenes, he tries to go off by himself. He tries to, to just do this task by himself. And one of his assigned partners, his assigned friends, finds him. He sees him going across the river. And this is how the scene goes once he gets back in the boat and Frodo's mad at him for chasing him down. It would be the death of you to come with me, Sam, said Frodo, and I could not have bore that. Not as certainly as being left behind, said Sam, but I'm going to Mordor. I know that well enough, Mr. Frodo, of course you are, but I'm going with you. Now, Sam, said Frodo, do not hinder me. The others will be coming back any minute. If they catch me here, I shall have to argue and explain. I shall never have the heart to get off. But I must go at once. It's the only way. Of course it is, answered Sam. But not alone. I'm coming too, or neither of us are going. Sam knew the task would be hard. Sam knew probably he would die. But Sam wouldn't let his friend do it alone. That's friendship. Friendship knows it's going to be inconvenient. Friendship knows it's going to cost us money. Friendship knows that it's going to be painful. We're going to cry more than we're comfortable than crying. We're going to spend more money than we have the budget for sometimes. And we're going to be inconvenienced. We're going to have to pick up somebody's child from a soccer game. We're going to have to do, share a meal when we don't even have all the meals planned out for ourselves. But a our friend looks at their friend and says, it's worth it. It says, I'm going to finish this race with you, even at my own expense. Ultimately, this is the picture we see in Jesus, right? We see this friendship that takes all cost. Listen to this, these verses in John chapter 15. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friend, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Listen to this. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I call you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Do you know, church, that Jesus is not just your king? He's not just your savior. He considers you a friend. He considers you a beloved. And it doesn't make sense. Because before we ever did anything for him, he died for us. Knowing we would fail him, he died for us. Knowing we, wouldn't, we would talk about him behind his back, he died for us. Knowing we wouldn't talk to him as much as we should, he calls us friend. Knowing we wouldn't read his word as much as we should, he loves us. Knowing we don't love each other as much as we should, he calls us his. Knowing that we probably deserve the mess we've made for ourselves, he doesn't leave us in it. If you had any friend that loved other people like Jesus loved us, you would call them a foolish friend. You spend too much money. They don't do anything for you. They don't give back to you. That's too much resource. That's too much time. That's too many tears. Jesus' friendship would be appeared in our world as reckless. 
But his posture is never stiff-arming us. His posture is never go away. His posture is never get off my lawn. He always texts us back, and he always answers the phone. He is our faithful friend. Church, there is no friendless Christianity. God has called us to friendship. With God's help, let us avoid the foolishness of bad friendships that mean us no good. Let us find honest friends that tell us what we don't want to hear. And let us cultivate enduring friends that get us to the end of the race. May God make it so. Let's pray. Jesus, we give you the glory for the scandalous grace you have provided us in your friendship. We cannot have life with God outside of your friendship. Grant us the repentance in the areas in which we have failed our friends, which, where we have pressed e the eject button on our friends. Provide peace in our homes, with our children, and in this church. May we be people that are quick to forgive, quick to offer mercy. May we, growing our friendship with one another, avoiding the lies of the world, and be a shining light of the gospel for the nations. I pray you do it. Amen.